Hello to our listeners. Welcome to the Women Governance Trailblazers podcast, where we listen to the journeys of trailblazing women in the corporate governance field, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Courtney Camlet, and my co-host is Liz Dunchy, and we are back after a proxy season and summer hiatus. Hi, everyone. Liz and I are both passionate about governance, and we want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. We're connecting with guests from different paths and industries to hear their perspective on what surprised them in their career and where they think the field of corporate governance is going. For this episode, we're talking with Rachel Kahn-Troster, Executive Vice President at the Interface Center on Corporate Responsibility. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks. It's really wonderful for me to be here. It's an honor to be included with so many other fantastic women um, on this podcast series, and it's great to speak with you both today. And we're so glad to have you. We really are. Thank you so much for being here, Rahel. You're a passionate advocate for corporate governance. Um, Tell us about your current role as Executive Vice President at the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility. How do you work with the faith and value-based investors to engage with corporations and advocate for change? Thanks. You know, I feel really lucky to have joined the amazing team and community that make up ICCR. Our motto is inspired by faith and committed to action. We're investors who are building a more just and sustainable world by integrating the societal values that really matter, stopping climate change, ending income inequality, respecting human rights into corporate and investor actions. And for me, coming to ICCR as executive vice president um, was part of a process that started more than a decade ago. I first encountered our work um, when I was building out a Jewish campaign to fight forced labor. Um, And part of what's been exciting for me at being on staff at ICCR the past year and a half as coming from more of an advocate side to learn the investor voice and about the power that shareholders have to make change in corporations and and to build more sustainable corporations. So when I first encountered ICCR, at the time I felt that you know, a lot of the campaigns on fighting forced labor centered around buying better products, but they didn't center human beings whose lives were affected by human rights abuses and didn't talk about the deeper values that required us to say that we were more than the products that we buy. And they weren't shifting corporate behavior. They were just saying, you know, how do we buy a better product? Um, And I was used to holding, to mobilizing faith leaders to hold politicians accountable, but Until I met ICCR, I hadn't really known about faith and values-based investors, people using their moral voices to urge corporate responsibility. I kind of maybe knew about it on a local level, but not higher up the chain to really speak to corporate leadership. I didn't know about that until I met ICCR. As as I said, I I learned about it through the work they were doing on human rights abuses and global supply chains, but I've come to understand that our work is so much more. ICCR has a legacy of more than 51 years of cutting-edge shareholder advocacy on behalf of people and communities in our planet. We were founded to fight apartheid in South Africa in 1971, and we've continued to engage with corporations to this day on what their responsibilities are to people and communities. Our members really engage with companies for the long term. We raise issues with companies before they translate into larger concerns of reputational or financial risk. Um, And this is an approach we pioneered to to push companies on environmental, social, and governance issues. And we make the case that to be a financially resilient company means that you have to have sustainable and moral practices on ESG. You know, we were originally founded by faith-based institutions, pension funds, and other forms of faith-based capital who wanted to align their investments with the core tenets of their religion and use those tenets to push companies to do better but our coalition's grown a lot and significantly, and it's made up of more than of global institutions that currently represent more than four trillion dollars in managed assets. That's a lot of, of you know influence that we have to push corporate behavior. 
We have a significant number of socially responsible asset managers who are very active ICC our members, as well as an affiliate member base that includes unions and foundations and other responsible investors working with a global network of NGOs and business partners. You know, our members do very important work. They leverage their equity ownership in some of the world's most powerful companies to engage with management to identify and mitigate social and environmental risks that result from their corporate operations and policies. And I love that we work on the issues that matter to people and planet. We fight climate change. We talk, you know, we work on worker rights, both domestically and global supply chains, health equity. We look at how corporations are lobbying and spending money politically. We make the moral case, but we also make the business case. Responsible and sustainable business practices and a strong cult corporate culture of ethics are really in the long term of both long term interest of both companies and investors. What inspires me is that our membership is very diverse, but what brings people together is what we do together. What brings us together is our persistent focus on social and environmental justice and our collective commitment to bring these concerns to companies through direct collaborative engagement. Together, as an ICCR community, we're committed to moving the current business focus away from achieving short-term returns and towards sustainable strategies that advance the common good. And I think also what part of what makes ICCR a key part of how we do our work, and also is what motivates us, is our connection to communities impacted by corporate practices. This is our commitment to stakeholder leadership, which we're constantly evaluating and learning from, and understanding that we are most effective when we work together as an investor voice alongside broader movements for change. And I know that you are also trained as a rabbi. Has there been anything that surprised you as you progressed in your career? I would say that my whole career has been a surprise. As you said, I trained as a rabbi. And when I started on that path, if you told me 20 years ago that at the age of 43, I'd be working at an interfaith organization. Well, the interfaith part is probably what I would have recognized um, 20 years ago because I knew I wanted to make a difference. But the path I've been on, that's been very unique. In retrospect, it all seems to make sense and fall into place. But at the moment, it felt like, you know, building the right relationships and being in the right place at the right time. When I was studying to be a rabbi um, at the Jewish Theological Seminary in the early 2000s, my denomination was busy discovering social justice and building on the idea of religious moral voice. Um, I had the privilege at the end of rabbinical school to go work at Trua um, to bring together, you know, grasshops rabbinic leadership to speak out on human rights abuses. Um, and that's how I found the founded the campaign on forced labor, which led me to ICCR. And also um, it's how I met a group that really influenced me called the Coalition of Immokalee Workers in Florida, which is a grassroots human rights organization led by farm workers. And that's how I kind of encountered corporate accountability campaigns that they, you know, working with grassroots, they, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers had been engaging corporations to hold, like the corporations at the top of supply chains, to hold them accountable for the human rights abuses at the bottom, led through the leadership of workers. And that was really transformative work for me um, to be part of movements for change led by the people who were most affected. Um, and so part of what I love about being at ICCR, which is also a partner of the coalition, is that I had seen this from the activist side, but I wanted to learn after 20 years of being a rabbi, um, how to make, not just how to make the moral case, but also how to make the financial case. Um, and so it's really exciting to be part of an organization that shaped how I viewed how change could happen. You know, that learning that moving companies is part of a way to move systems. There's a way in which, like, if you look back at my life, this all seems to make sense, right? So what surprised me, like, the retrospectoscope says this makes sense. My parents were activists. My dad, who was also a rabbi, was an environmental activist. But at the time, over time, it's really felt like, oh, where is my career taking me and how do I seize on that? Yeah, and activists in a different way, not shareholder activists. So right. more like community activists, right? But it more all like community activists. Mm -hmm. 
Right. I, I've learned that activist has a very different meaning in the in the in the shareholder advocacy space. Um, so yeah, more like a community activist working, you know, to organize moral voices to speak out on, you know, when when issues were arising in their communities or in the country, um, which is a little bit of a different way of bringing out change than, than the investor work I'm doing now. Yeah. And so as you mentioned, um, you've spent many years working to promote human rights, and that work has obviously had a huge impact on you and your career and brought you to where you are today. And um, this was a big proxy season for ICCR members. There were a record number of ENS proposals submitted. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you think companies have done well on progress in this area? And where do you think we still have the greatest areas for improvement? Yeah, I think the, the biggest area is somewhat, there's somewhat a related question. Like, I think the shift I've seen, it's a movement we're still in, has been away from voluntary corporate social responsibility, which often did more to protect a company's reputation than actual make change for people, to more binding efforts. I think the creation of the UN guiding principles on business and human rights, you know, which weren't a treaty, but created a framework on which you know regulations and laws could be based, um, was really a watershed moment, especially we now see in Europe with the move towards mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence. And we're starting to see like really the most forward thinking investors think not just about corporate responsibility, but also investor responsibility. Here at ICCR, we have an initiative called the Investor Alliance for Human Rights, which is looking at standard setting and investor responsibility. So there's investor responsibility, respect human rights, and to look at their own portfolios to mitigate harm and offer access to remedy. But obviously, we also have a long way to go to ensure that human rights are respected, you know, to really make sure that our business models are not built on the exploitation of people. So I think we need to see our, in, you know, our supply chains not just become more transparent. Transparency is kind of the foundation of this work, corporations disclosing you know, where they're sourcing from and what their human rights policies are and, and how they're bringing remedy affected stakeholders. But we have to also really shift our supply chains to becoming more equitable. So moving from voluntary corporate so- social responsibility to legally binding agreements, moving from efforts that are really driven by the company to, to driver, efforts that are more driven by the most affected people towards worker driven social responsibility, moving away from social auditing as a way of compliance, mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence, and really thinking about how do we move from commercial environments that undermine human rights to environments that are enabling an inclusion of human rights and environmental criteria and business decisions and operations and contracts. Like this has to be fundamental to who businesses are um, for every stakeholder who's impacted by their by their operations. So you've had quite a diverse career so far. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to our listeners about building your career, serving as a mentor and being a trusted advisor? Because I know that you serve as a very trusted advisor now in your role. That's a great question. I think I thought about this a lot. I think first of all, it's important to take the long view, which I was, I remember having a moment in my early thirties where I thought, Oh, my career has chapters, mm-hmm. right? It's not, you know, some of the things we're going to do when we're younger and things we're going to do when we're middle aged, the things we're going to do when older, and then to seek out mentors who have a lot of chapters there in their career. I think especially at the beginning of your career, it can feel everything feels very immediate and like you have to take every opportunity at once, often because there are so many opportunities thrown at people early in their careers. Um, so thinking of your career as an arc, thinking that there'll be chapters that, that you can try out new things um, has been really important to me. And then to seek out mentors. Um, not everyone who like you can turn to for career advice wants to mentor, but to find the people who, who want to mentor and learn from them. Um, I would also say that when you find something you're passionate about, 
to work towards making that a key piece of your work, but also open, being open to the ways that that could take you. Clearly, I was committed to making, you know, to, to fighting human rights abuses and ended up at ICCR with our particular way of making change in the world. Um, so there's the, both the content of the work and also the bigger goal I want to achieve. Um, and I also think that for those of us who are mentors, it's a cliche to say that listening is important, but that's very important. I can often feel within myself like the tension between giving advice and help drawing out of the people I mentor what the choice is for them. So you really have to be genuinely curious and create open space. And I think as a mentor, one thing you have to do is push people, especially women, to understand that they are more prepared than they think they are. You know, my husband is in medicine and they're the motto for training, which when you think about how audacious this is for doctors is a little scary, is see one, do one, teach one. Hmm. And that really requires you to trust yourself um, to trust that you are enough of an expert, not just to engage and lead, but also to teach others. You know, I sometimes hear from the women I mentor about imposter syndrome, that they don't know enough to lead or that the responsibility feels too great. Um, and that can be really true when you're engaged in work that feels like it really matters. When, when you know there's a link between the work that you do um, and the actions of corporations and the lives of people and the sustainability of the planet, but none of us do this work alone. And I think that also can lift some of the burden. So you have to find good mentors, good partners to work with and build on shared work, honesty and trust. And I like what you said about, you know, being an active listener is, is definitely part of the process. You know, someone once told me you have two ears and one mouth. I love that. <laughs> I was talking to someone recently who was having a hard day career wise. And I said, I actually said, do you want advice or do you want me to just listen? And they paused for a second. I said, I just want you to listen. I said, okay. I said, when you have, when you need advice, I will give that to you. And that really helped them. That is a really good question to ask in conversations. And I think more people could benefit from using that line. <laughs> um, and that's all really good advice. And I'm curious on your mentor relationships. Um, are those, you know, whether you're on the mentor side or the mentee side, have those been express relationships where you're saying, will you be my mentor? Or someone's asking you that, or is it more of an organic thing where you just realize when you're in it, like, oh, I'm mentoring this person and, and this is how I can do that for them. For me, it's been more organic, um, at least in the way that I frame the relationship, like realizing that I'm mentoring someone. There've been a couple of times I said like, I should get to know this person. Um, and then did the work to make that happen. Um, and, but also being aware if they're not, if, if they don't seem open to the relationship. I have had pe seen people who've explicitly asked for mentorship. And I think sometimes asking is also good because then you're also saying like, here, I'm hoping to learn from you. And it sets a little bit more clearly what the criteria are. And also then allows them to say like, do you, does, allows the person to say like, do I actually have the time to invest in this relationship? Um, so I think there can be a value to being more explicit. What I like about the fact that some of my mentorship relationships have been a little bit more organic is then they've they've a number of them have become friendships. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's essential. You don't have to become friends with someone who you're mentoring or being mentored by. But I wonder if we had been a little bit more explicit if, if that would have allowed the friendship to blossom. Um, I'm not sure. It really depends on the personality. There is something to be said for being direct just so that people know what 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 they're looking for. Yeah. It's also a little bit brave for someone to mm -hmm. ask, hey, say, hey, I'd really like to learn X, Y, and Z, or I know you do this and I'm interested in 
being stronger here, would you mentor mm -hmm. me? Yeah, it is very brave. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think they tend to happen more organically. But to, I, you know, when people do put themselves out on the line and are more explicit because it's such a brave act, I'm, I'm pretty open to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, our, our last question today is one that we ask in every podcast, and that is, what do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation mm. on the societal role of companies? It's a great question. I think we're really leading by example. I don't want to essentialize women's voices because we come from so many different backgrounds and places, but I think we're part of an overall shift in who are the messengers about raising questions about who is the, I mean, who is a good company, what makes a good company in society today. You know, we're the ones saying it's not enough that companies need to engage a broad range of stakeholders, including investors and workers and impacted communities, but we're actually part of the shift to ensuring that those voices are in the room. And it's not just you know that we need to bring new people into the current conversation. I think women can help be in the lead in saying we actually have to have a new conversation about what it means to be a, a good company in today's society. Um, you know, obviously it's clear from what I said before that mentors were really important to me watching other women. And I think I watched other women make change. And so we can change what the field looks like, not just companies, but the culture of our own institutions. And so I also think that we are, so many women are committed to nurturing um, and the next generation and building the field. So our impact in the field is not just what we're doing today, but also how we're shaping who the leaders of tomorrow are. I love that. Very inspirational. And it was it was wonderful talking with you today, Rachel. Um, thank you for thank joining you so us. Yes, yes. Thank you for being here. Uh, for our listeners, this My is pleasure. this is the second time we <laughs> got together to tape this due to technical difficulties. So um, thank you for the extra time. Um, and thank you, everyone who joined us for this episode of Women Governance Trailblazers. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts. And we would love if you would rate us while you're there.